quite a few scriptures to read today, so um, I want you to indulge me as we uh, go through some of these passages. Let's start with Psalm 142, Psalm 142, and we're going to read from the first verse, Psalm 142. How many of you can see it on the screen, yes? I cried unto the Lord. That's really the first part of it. So here's David praying. And again, I think he prays on behalf of all of us. Because at one season or another, we find ourselves in this place. And if while we read, you have found yourself in that place, then just resonate with the word of God and say say your amens. And if you're in that place right now, just resonate with the word of God and say amen. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld that there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. No man cared for my soul. No man cared for my soul. So over the last uh, few weeks, we have been asking God to set us on fire And we have been praying that our passion for prayer, for praise, for worship, for purpose and destiny would be rekindled and reignited. And so today, last week I spoke about the passion for purpose. But this week, I want to talk about the passion for souls. Passion for souls. Passion for souls. And I'm, I'm really excited and almost amazed that I got a few hand claps. Because by and large, the modern church has lost its passion for souls. It's true. If you were to conduct a survey, you'd find out that 90 to 98% of believers haven't told their testimony to an un believing unchurched person in at least 12 months basically lost our passion for souls and it's all right because today God's going to set a fire in this place set us on fire turn us into living witnesses and epistles that are known and read of all men let's pray in Jesus name So, sweet Holy Spirit of the living God, we're hungry for you. We're desperate for you. We are panting after you like the deer pants for the water. We are in dire need of your presence, your power, 
your purpose. We want to be plugged in. We want to know the heart of God and we want to have the heart of God. We want to do the heart of God. I pray, Father, that you set us on fire like the burning bush that grabbed the attention of a Moses going about his day-to-day -day business but was arrested by a bush on fire that was not consumed. Set us on fire so that we arrest the attention of men. Make us salt and light in the world. Be glorified, magnified, celebrated, honored, and exalted in the word of the Lord. And this is our prayer in Jesus Christ's name. All the people said amen. Thank you. Amen. So the passion for souls. Uh, I guess I want to start off by exploring the heart of God. Exploring the heart of God. Uh, because I think it's possible to walk alongside a stranger and call it Christianity. Like the disciples on the Emmaus Road, walking for miles with a man they just didn't know it was Jesus. I think it's possible to become a Christian, join a church, and do Christian things and never actually know the heart of God. Unfortunately, I also think it's possible to know the heart of God and not have the heart of God. And the reason it's possible is because we are a transactional generation. Right? We're transactional. Which is, God, you give me what I want first. Then we might think about what you want. And so long as I'm not getting what I want, I don't really care much about what you want. We're quite transactional. Actually, Christianity for many people is a deal with God whereby he takes care of your health, wealth, and happiness and you show up at church and give an offering here or there. Kind of. And, and if God doesn't keep his end of the bargain, we get upset with him because I don't have my health, still don't have my wealth, not particularly happy, so Christianity's failing me. God's failing. Where are you, God? I joined this so you could make me healthier, wealthier, and happier. We're transactional so that sometimes even though we know the heart of God, we don't have the heart of God. We kind of know what God wants, but it's not very important to us because what's primarily important is that we get what we want out of this. And that transactional relationship is not good. It's not, it's not good on, on virtually any level, all right? Because transactional people are always judging the value of a relationship by what they're getting out of it, all right? What, what am I getting out of this? I'm just wasting my time. I'm not getting anything out of this. Whereas actually, 
The value of a relationship is not in what you get out of it, but what you become as a result of it. Right? It's not so much what you get out of the gym. Because <laughs> what you might get out of the gym is aches and pains for a couple days. Maybe even three or four days. Don't ask me how I know these things. But you might get pain out of it. But what you're becoming as a result of it over a period of time means that it's a good relationship to have. That make sense? So people who are very transactional tend to judge their relationship with everything by what they are immediately getting. And they do it with work. They do it with love. They do it with church. Not really getting anything out of this. The question is not what you're getting in the short term. It's what you're becoming in the long term. And if you do employ a coach or a trainer, don't be in the mirror day two. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> it's not meant to work like that. Okay? You're supposed to look back over a period of time, compare the before with the afters, and then you know this is a good relationship because of what I'm becoming as a result of it. That's good. That's good. So, when it comes to human transactions, the human transactions go something like this. I have something you want. You have something I want. Right? Give me what I want and I'll give you what you want. That's pretty much how human transactions go. Even in the marketplace. You got something I want, I got something you want. You give me what I want, I'll give you what you want. But when it comes to God, please don't make that mistake. Don't ever go to God with, God, you give me what I want, I'll give you what you want. No, the reason why you can't do that with God is because... He has already given you everything that you have. Therefore, the ball is already in your court. When you're saying, God, give me, you're asking him to bat again. He's already batted. It's your turn now. The fact that you're alive, God gave that to you. The fact that you have any health in your body or mind, God gave that to you. The fact that you have any resource or provision, God gave that to you. Everything you have, every good and perfect gift came from the Father of lights with whom there is no variance nor shadow of turning. That's good old King James English. I love the Bible. Uh, it simply means that every good thing in your life came from God. And therefore, if you get nothing else from God, you still owe him. And in the matter of salvation, what more could God give you? He spared not his only son. He pays the ultimate price. He secures your eternal destiny. 
through a sacrifice that cost him everything. And now you want to get transactional with God about stuff. Give me this and I'll give you that. Give me the other. No, he's already given you. So when it comes to your relationship with God, remember that if there is a transaction, the ball is in your court. It's your turn now to render something to God for all of his mercy and all of the benefits he's made available to you. It's my turn. I'm the one that need to give something to God. So that I don't come to him with God, give me what I want and I'll give you what you want. I come to him with God, what do you want? Here it is. And if you see fit to bless me with some additional things that I want, thank you. But if not, you've already done so much. You're now coming with a certain humility. You're coming with a posture that makes you irresistible to the heavenlies. It's your posture. You're irresistible to the heavenlies because you're saying, God, what do you want? I want to give you what you want. I, if, if it's within my power, I want to give you what you want. And if you see fit to give me the additional things that I want, Thank you, their bonuses. But if not, I'm still going to give you glory because you've already given me eternal life. You already washed my sins away. You already filled me with your spirit. So I'm already happy. It takes a lot to make Christians happy these days, isn't it? <laughs> You'd think we don't really have eternal life <laughs> by how miserable some Christians are. And this, this, you know, I, I used to think, well, you're just ungrateful. No, you're just an unbeliever. It's the problem. It's not you're ungrateful. You don't actually believe that you've inherited all of these spiritual and eternal blessings through Jesus Christ. Because the moment you believe that, you are grateful. You have to be grateful. If you realize that someone took a bullet for you, that someone pushed you out of the way and took the full force of the truck that was going to hit you, someone snatched you like a branch from the burning, once you realize that, then the gratitude is an auto-response. But there's a problem in the church world today. You've got a lot of miserable, unhappy Christians. What are you unhappy about? Well, stuff's not working out for me. Stuff? Yeah, job, relationships, health, unhappy. All right, so let's switch this up a little bit. And let's... Let's begin to think like Hannah. Hannah. Who's Hannah? The mother of Samuel. Who's Samuel? The prophet who changed an era. The prophet who as a boy heard the voice of God. And who's his mother? Hannah. And who's Hannah? She's a wife of a man that has a few. But she's not the happy wife because she's the barren one. And in an age, in an age in which the purpose of marriage was children, she felt like a failure. 
most of her life. She carried the stigma of barrenness. She was a second-class wife. And every year, she'd go to the place of prayer, and she would pray for a child. God, give me a child. God, give me a child. Until that year that she got a revelation of God's heart. You want a child. God wants a prophet. Oh, God, you want a pro. Oh, you want a prophet. Oh, you want a young man who from he is weaned will grow up in the temple. Not really the temple at the time, but grow up in the, in the place of prayer where he would be exposed to prayer and exposed to the word and exposed to the prophetic and grow up in the prophetic. That's what you want. Because up until this year, I wanted a baby boy that I could dress up in little Gucci shoes. Huh? Little, little Versace blanket. Huh? Get, get a Chanel dummy. From a little baby. Take photos. Put it on Instagram. Show off. That's what I want. I wanted a baby. Then I figured out, you want a prophet. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the baby. I'm going to give the baby back to you. Yeah, I'm going to walk away from all my aspirations. And I'm going to give the baby back to you. And the transaction worked like this. I'll give you your profit. You give me the baby. And so getting to that place where you prioritize God's will over yours. Man, that's a journey, isn't it? That's the journey of intimacy and trust. Like you, 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 you have to trust someone to, get, to prioritize their will over yours. But you can't trust someone if you don't know someone. You can't know someone if you don't journey with them. And so getting to the place where the will of God is more important to you than anything else because you trust him, that's the result of a relationship. Hello? The result of a relationship. And we see it in several places in scripture. Let me give you a couple. Are you ready? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. <laughs> give me my bread now. <laughs> huh? Give me my daily bread now. No, 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 no. Forget your bread for just a moment. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. First thing is your will. Your way. Your heart. What you want. That's first. Now let's talk about my bread. We don't really do that. We skirt past the kingdom and will peace. Our Father right in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, there will be done heaven give us <laughs> give us this day not tomorrow 
right now. I'm hungry, God. Huh? <laughs> it's kind of where we're at with this stuff. It has to come a shift, a maturity. The will of God is more important than mine. Because if I'll prioritize his will, he'll prioritize mine. And if he prioritizes my imperfect will, I may get what I want and I hate what I get. When we edit that, slow that down like the slow motion. It's just, that's just good. If God prioritizes my will, I may get what I want and then hate what I get. Every person's ever been in a broken relationship is saying, yes! <laughs> got what I wanted, hated what I got. <laughs> so I'm, I don't want to be in the business of twisting God's arm to give me what I want. Because my will is a bit imperfect. Can't really see the future. Can't see all the other issues. Can't see what getting this will do to that. So I always put my will under his and say, God... Your kingdom come, your will be done. What you want first is more important than what I want. I'm going to prioritize your will. I'm going to put your will first. And then you'll, you'll deal with my will. Because if I delight myself in the Lord, he'll give me the desires of my heart. Because I'm delighting myself in him. Woo! Give me another example. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go through this. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I trust you so much that even if you take me where I don't want to go, it's going to be all right. I'll be grateful that I went. Boy, that's a level of trust, isn't it? God, you're going to take me where I don't want to go. But I trust I'll be glad I went. Hold on. Hold on. Get those pieces in. <laughs> and that's what differentiated King David from King Saul. getting somewhere today someone said oh yeah God rejected Saul because he's a sinner no 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 if we were to compare the sins of Saul and David <laughs> we'd all say Saul was the good king and David was the bad king what did Saul really do? Here's what Saul did. First of all, they were both chosen by God. There's no Saul where David was chosen and the people chose Saul. No. The people chose to have a king. God chose the king. 
Saul was chosen. Saul was qualified. Tall, muscular, experienced at war. He had all of the qualities to be a king. And God gave him an instruction. The instruction was to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Utterly destroy the Amalekites. Now there's a reason God said utterly destroy the Amalekites. And thank God we're in the New Testament right now. I want anything I say to be misunderstood. Nobody wants to take it too literally. But there's a reason. Amalek attacked Israel in the wilderness when they were en route to the promised land. God promised he will war with Amalek from generation to generation. Because there was a spirit in the Amalekites that constantly sought to abort the purpose of God and to attack the things of God. And God said their time has come. Utterly destroy the Amalekites. The Amalekites were devil worshippers. They were witches and wizards. And they were known in history for their curious arts and their magic. And the fact that they were, had a reputation for manifesting themselves as animals. And whereas you thought an animal was coming into the camp, the animal would transform and be an Amalekite. That was the mythology. Whether it was physically happening, who knows? Some of you are sitting here saying, hey, these things happen, Bishop. <laughs> these things really happen, you know, Bishop. That's, don't those not jokes. Fine. I get you. But that's what was going on in those days. So when God said, utterly destroy the Amalekites, he said, you do not spare any humans. You do not spare any animals. What? And Saul went and utterly almost destroyed the Amalekites. Saved the king Amalekite and saved some of the animals that he thought, why are we slaughtering these? Come on, we're hungry up in here. We could do something with this. And he's coming back from the slaughter of the Amalekites, rejoicing, singing victory songs. And Samuel says, hail King Saul. Oh, Saul, 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 Samuel, prophet of God, bless you, sir. We're coming back from doing what the Lord said to do. Yeah, we did it. We did what God said. You told us the word of the Lord. We have done it. I have done it. And I'm coming back to celebrate what God has done. And here's what Samuel said. Samuel said, if you obeyed the word of God, what meaneth this bleating of the sheep in my ears? I love it. There's certain verses you just never forget. You hear them once as a child, you never forget them. What meaneth this bleating of the sheep in my ears? Huh? Here's, here's Saul. We've done it. We did utterly destroy the Amalekites. What meaneth this bleating of the sheep in my ears? Oh, those. No, no, no. We saved them to sacrifice. We're taking them to sacrifice. And who's that? Oh, that's King Agag. We do, that's the king. We're going to, uh, you know, uh, slaughter him and just. No, no, no. No, no. Saul, here's what you did. God told you what to do. You didn't understand. You did not understand that not one word from God, not one word is without meaning and value. You decided that you would put your own interpretation on it and you have not done what God said to do. 
Now the Amalekites will multiply and they will continue to be a plague to, to the house of Israel. And if you check what's really going on in the middle part of this world, it is a sustained attack from the same spirit that has survived from generation to generation because of one man's disobedience. And Samuel said, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, God has rejected you. You're not going to be king no more. But here's the sad thing about God rejecting you. He doesn't kick you off the throne. It leaves you bang in position. That's a whole nother message that should scare the devil out of everyone. <laughs> and I'm not here to scare the devil out of anyone today. I'm here to set a fire. To light a fire. So, the kingdom transited from Saul to David. David, what's your sins? David. <laughs> Saul, your big sin, you spared some sheep. That's your big sin. You have no evidence of any moral failure. You spared some sheep. David, it will take too long to catalog the indiscretions of King David. He had issues. Hello? As colorful a character as he is, and as mighty as his testimony is, this guy has issues. Serious issues. No, 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 no. Yeah, I don't think you understand what I'm saying to you. I'm saying the brother has issues. We would have silenced the brother a long time ago. <laughs> He'd have been on the back bench. Warner, he'd have been behind you, the very back row, with some kind of warning tag on his head. So I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what he did. He went, down, he, he, he went with Bathsheba, uh, Uriah's wife. No, no, he went with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, after he already had five. That's called issues. Church, can I be real with you? The guy had issues. He had issues that were so bad that when he died, to check his pulse, they put a woman in the bed. And when he did not move, they said, the king is dead. The brother has issues. God's not rejected him. Because God says he's a man after my own heart. Whoa, what does that mean? He's after my own heart. What does it mean? It means that this man wants exactly what I want. This man wants exactly what I want. His desire for Israel is aligned with my desire for Israel. Because God's desire was very, very clear. God wanted to be the center of the society. God wanted to be right in the center of the society and David's obsession throughout his life was to build a house for God called the temple. He 
drew up all of the architectural plans, bought the land, had it all mapped out before his death. What Solomon did was not Solomon's idea. What Solomon did was David's idea. David's idea is that God should be the center of our society. Nothing should move in Israel that is not in proportion, in relationship to the presence of God in our midst. That's what we want. And because he was so determined to put God in the center of his kingdom, God said, this man has my heart. Where did you get the heart of God, David? Where did that come from? Y'all ready for this? No, you're still stuck on the last bit. I said, come back, come, come with me. Where did he get it from? He got it from being the outsider Black sheep, excluded, rejected member of his family. He had daddy issues. He had mama issues. He had sibling issues. He spent most of his time in isolation and alone. He was given jobs that were designed to guarantee his being out of the way. Being unseen and unheard. His dad would say, you know what? We've got some sheep about a couple miles away from here. Maybe 10 or so miles away. You need to go there and look after those sheep. Okay? All right. So, we're, we're, no, 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 we're going. You, the young boy, you're going to look after those sheep in the wilderness. And you're going to be there on your own. On your own. You're going to look after sheep. Well, on your own, in Cornwall, looking after sheep is one thing. On your own, in a country that has lions and bears, it's another thing. You're almost trying to get rid of the lad, sending him out on his own to look after a few sheep. But in the solitude, he found a father and a mother in God. He said, when my father and my mother forsook me, the Lord took me in. God became my dad. God became my mom. God became my siblings. God became everything to me. And I learned to sing. And my, my song was my medication. And he didn't sing in terms of verses and chorus and bridge. He simply sang his prayer. Woo. I wish I had some help here. He sang his prayer. Now we take his songs and we'll make a chorus verses and bridges. But there were no chorus verses and bridges. There was just his prayer that he would be singing to God. And so he would be alone with God and ask God to hear his cry and attend unto his prayer. And, and he'd say, from the ends of the earth, I cried unto thee. When he said, the Lord is my shepherd, what he was basically saying is, what I am to these sheep, God, you are to me. What I am to these sheep, God, you are to me. I love these sheep. I will defend these sheep. When a lion came against the sheep, I took on the lion. When a bear came against the sheep, I took on the bear. I put my own life at risk in order to save the lives of those that I loved. He's learning the heart of God. And sometimes your rejection is for your protection. 
The protection of your very destiny, which can be polluted, corrupted, and disrupted and derailed by a bad relationship with the wrong crowd and the wrong company. And so when you're expelled from it, when you're sent to Coventry, don't cry too hard or too long because, because God who knows everything will organize for your extraction from a company that will have an adverse impact on your destiny. And the reason you shouldn't cry is because God Heard them say things that you didn't hear. God was in the conversations that they excluded you from. God knows what they whisper about you when they are among themselves. You don't. So you're desperate to get back in when God has already pulled you out. Woo. Hold on. So, David's learning the heart of God in solitude. And as God has become the center of his life, he says God should be the center of our society. Everything should revolve around God. Jesus at the center of it all. And that's going to be my life and my legacy. And when he became the king, his priority was to purchase land and to plan for the construction of a house for God that would be bigger than anyone else's house. He says, it's going to be bigger than my house. He says, I'm king. I'm going to have a nice palace. But it's nothing compared to what we're going to build God. And he draws out all these plans and he drives it into his children. What? So that Solomon knows that you cannot honor your father outside of building that temple. Talk about legacy. Can I talk about legacy? Can I talk about, can I talk about inheritance? Because we are the generation who thinks that legacy, uh, legacy is primarily contained in the things we leave for our descendants. But biblically, it has more to do with the things you leave in your descendants. Because if you leave something for them and you left nothing in them, that which you left for them will be squandered by the next generation. But if you leave values in them, a vision in them, a mission in them, then you can safely go to sleep knowing that what God told you will come to pass. In, in, your, in your lineage, it will come to pass. So David didn't just leave a throne for Solomon. He left a throne in Solomon. The idea of the throne of God being at the center of our very society. And God said, he's a man after my heart. And God has a way of, of not emphasizing character flaws in people who have his heart. He's God, he doesn't even address David much about his weird life. He just says, this guy wants what I want. So I'm going to back him. 
I'm going to stand behind him. I'm going to support him. I'm going to resource him. I'm going to help him. I'm going to hear him. Because, see, all those prayers you prayed in the wilderness, sometimes the answers don't come in the wilderness. The answers come when you're on the throne and you're in your position. All the prayers David was praying when he was in isolation and on his own, those prayers were now showering down upon him when he finally took the throne. That's important for you to know, that God will always lead you through a season of solitude so that you might know him for yourself Hallelujah. And cultivate a personal relationship with him. You're not always going to be there, but you're definitely going to pass through there. And when you come out on the other side, worship means something else to you. Prayer means something else to you. Praise means something else to you. The word means something else to you. The kingdom means something else to you because of what you have survived, because of what you have passed through, and because of the God you met in your valley. See, unless you meet God in the valley, you don't know Jehovah Jireh. Unless you meet God in the valley, you don't know Jehovah Nisi. Unless you meet God in the valley, you don't know Jehovah Shalom. Unless you meet God in the valley, you don't know him for yourself. You can repeat the rhetoric that other people give. But only when it's your turn. Oh, glory to God. I wish I could get personal now, but I'm not going to get personal now. I'm just going to say that there are some of you in here today that the doctor wrote you off, told you straight, 50-50, whether you're going to live or whether you're going to die. You've been there. That's called a valley. That's called a valley. That's called a low place, a dark place in which only God only God and when you come out of that place your relationship with God means something else it's something else you come out of that place and you have a heart for God or at least you know the heart of God Woo! hallelujah hallelujah slip your hands up for just a moment and think back over your life at those lonely places where it was just you and God and you found out that God is real all by yourself in that place he delivered you from the lion and from the bear he became your father he became your mother he became your friends he became your comfort he became your hope in those moments of your life you must never forget those moments of your life. Never! You will never have a passion for souls outside of your personal testimony. No. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that's within me, bless his holy name. I wish I could tell you that a Bible school could qualify you for ministry. I wish I could tell you that a certificate will make you a licensed minister. But that would not be true. The truth is that you are qualified by the things you survive. You are qualified by the things you survive. What gives you authority in this world is the things you survive. That's where your authority comes from. That's where your wisdom comes from. That's where your compassion comes from. It doesn't come from reading a book. No, no, no. A book can help put a frame around what you're feeling. But only when you've been there can you feel for people that are there. Woo! Only when you've been there can you feel for people that are there. Only when you have survived do you, do you lose the judgmentalism 
that characterizes so many facets of Christianity. <laughs> because you know that but for the grace of God, there go I. You also know I totally understand why this person has gone off the rails and where they have gone. And I know where they are. And I know where to find you. And brother, no matter who rejects you in the house, I'll never reject you. Because I know you. I know you. So I said all that to say you don't become a man after God's heart just because you read a book about the heart of God. You have an experience with God in which his heart is revealed to you. <laughs> because in your low place, he still loved you. When you'd given up on yourself, he wouldn't give up on you. When People around you wouldn't forgive you. He did. You were getting a revelation of God's heart. And you begin to realize that God is not a cyclops. He's not a one-eyed monster walking around with a club looking for Christians who are not in their place so he can beat them over the head. No. He's not that. He is the Father. He will welcome you home. But you have to know that for yourself. And when you know it, the second part becomes very easy. You have to tell it. <laughs> you have to tell it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. One more time. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm sorry I said one more time because I didn't mean it. One more time. Let the redeemed of the Lord. Why do you have to say what God did? Why do you have to say it? So it's enough for me to know it. No. The Bible doesn't say let the redeemed of the Lord know so. It says let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You actually have to say it. You have to say it. Look at your neighbor say, you have to say it. Oh yeah, you have to say it. You have to say it. There are some things you have to say. Woo, help me now. I said there are some things you have to say. There are some things it would be a crime for you not to say. Woo. There are some things it'd be a crime for you not to say. You have to say it. Now, here's why you have to say it. Now, there's lots of reasons why you have to tell your testimony. You have to tell you. I didn't say you should. I said you have to. Hello? And you have to become intentional about it, too. And say, actually, <laughs> number one, I'm going to think about my testimony. I'm going to think about something God brought me through. And then I'm going to intentionally this month tell someone. Because if you don't get intentional, you'll get forgetful and you ain't going to tell nobody nothing. And then you're going to miss out on what I'm about to tell you right now. The reason you have to say so is because the kingdom of God is a voice-activated kingdom. Woo. The kingdom is voice-activated. This is not Alexa and this is not Siri. This is the kingdom of God. 
His voice activated. We learn it from Genesis 1. And God said. All right? God controls the entire universe by his spoken word. Hebrews 11 says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are made, things which are seen, were not made by things which appear. What was it, what framed it? The word of God. Mm -hmm. Life and death. You are snared by the words of your mouth. Your words have power to heal. They have power to hurt. You set a guard at the gate of your mouth because what you say, what you say, is a reason why Jesus said bless and curse not. That's right. He said bless your enemies. Don't curse them. Did he say not, don't curse them? I know there's some churches that can't find that scripture anywhere in the Bible at all. Because at prayer time they are releasing fire on their enemies, cursing the enemy. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Right? But here's my point. The reason why Jesus says bless and don't curse is because if you curse them, they will be cursed. Because if you tell a fig tree, no man eats fruit from you forever, it's going to wither up, it's going to die. Because there's power in your mouth. Now here's the truth. Listen to me. Listen to me. Don't try to stop me. Watch this. All of the spiritual gifts. Woo! The what? The spiritual gifts. How many of you know that every single person has been given a tool set of power tools by God called spiritual gifts? Right. All the spiritual gifts, whether they be revelation gifts, utterance gifts, or power gifts. Absolutely none of them work on you by you. You can have the gifts of healing and die of a disease. Healing people in the hospital while you're dying. They will not work on you. Because they were never given for you. Christ is for you. Christ is all in all to you. The gifts are given to you to have an effective ministry to others. None of your gifts are going to work. You're not even going to discover the realm of the supernatural till you open your mouth to help somebody else. Until you say to somebody else, there's hope for you, there's help for you, I know what you're going through, I've been there myself, and I'm telling you, it's not the end of the road for you. All of a sudden, words of knowledge are going to come up into your mind. Words of wisdom are going to come up into your soul. You'll have the power to heal and to work miracles, and you'll prophesy. And it will shock you how much you know that you didn't realize you knew. Because if I ask you to quote a scripture, you might not be able to quote one. But the minute you start to tell another person that there's hope for you, this is not the end of the road. 
somebody loves you. I know it's the truth. All of a sudden, you're going to quote something and think, oh my God, I didn't even know I knew that scripture. They're going to say, would you pray with me? And you're going to say, okay. And you're going to shock yourself at how fluent your prayer is, how powerful your prayer is, how graced your prayer is, because all of these gifts that we're supposed to have working in the church, they are not going to work while we are a self-absorbed transactional generation. We have to get out of self and realize that you have survived so you can help somebody else survive and that's where your gifting is. You've got to turn your attention to others or you'll never know the power of the grace that is within you. Even on your cross, oh help me now, on your cross, Look over to somebody that has, is crying for help and say, today you will be with me in paradise. That's called prison ministry. As someone looking beyond your fault and seeing your need. That's someone who's in pain telling you that this pain is going to turn into paradise. You say, what? Even on the cross? Yeah, even on the cross. If you want to experience a burst of supernatural wonder and energy in your life, look for someone else that's hurting and try and help them. Otherwise, you just perish. You just perish in your pain. Thinking, where is God? Is there God even exist? I've, you know, where's the healing? Where's the miracles? Where's the this? It's all in your witness. It is all in your witness. And this is why Joseph, when he was incarcerated for a crime that he did not commit, when he was in the jail and he met the Pharaoh's butler and the Pharaoh's baker and the Pharaoh's baker and the two of them were tormented with reoccurring dreams, Joseph said, I can interpret dreams. Come see me. I'm going to minister to you. And here's Joseph telling Pharaoh's butler, you are going to be freed and restored. Hold on a second. How can you tell someone else that they're about to walk into liberty when your sentence hasn't even been passed yet? You're serving an undefined term. But you're here telling others to hope because the future's going to be good for you. I'm here to tell somebody today. In your single unmarried state, encourage another single that your marriage is on the horizon. Don't screw up your face with God. When is it my turn? It's your turn to help somebody else get their turn. Oh, glory to God. Even with your broke self, prophesy blessing and prosperity into somebody else's life. In your worst state, reach out to somebody and help them. Because by helping them, you are helping you in the most amazing ways. sick say sister I heard you going through a hard time me too can I pray with you what how are you praying with me you're sick yourself yeah I'm praying for you 
like Joseph ministered in prison, like Jesus ministered on the cross, I want to minister. I want to help someone to survive what I've survived. I want someone else to know that there's hope beyond your situation, that you can recover, that you will recover. And, you know, I, my time's gone because I really wanted to go somewhere else. I'm guessing I'm going to have to take this up again next week, right? I think I'm going to have to take this up again next week. I'm going to have to do that because I want to... I think that we inherited a model of personal evangelism and witnessing that is not only outdated, but is actually counterproductive. Because we are sold it on a negative. Do you know what I mean by a negative? Years and years ago, you said to someone, okay, so what is the gospel? Well, it's very simple. The gospel is you're going to hell. I'm sorry, that's not the gospel. You're going to hell. It's not the gospel. And years ago, I had folks that would get on the bus. I'm on the bus trying to get where I'm going. They get on the bus wearing a placard in the front. Flee from the wrath to come. Turn around on the back. All the names not written in the book of life shall be cast in the lake of fire. They want to get on the bus. Talking about the gospel. Where is, it? Where is it? Gospel means good news. How in the world is your message about hellfire good news? For people who are living through hell now. not out here trying to make a bad situation worse. I just don't remember Jesus going into the highways, byways, and hedges saying, y'all going to hell! It's the attitude as well, some of these preachers. I'm sorry, preachers, some of you are possessed of the wrong spirit. Because Attitude allows you to finish sentences. Isn't that right? When someone, when someone has an attitude, you can finish the sentence. And for some of you, here's your attitude. You're going to hell. And the sooner you go, you know, they're just like they're excited about it. No, you're possessed. I don't see Jesus doing it. I just don't see him doing it. I see him saying to hopeless people that there's hope. I see him befriending friendless people. I see him touching the untouchables. Lepers who were ceremonially and religiously unclean. Not just physically unclean. I see him touching them. I see him ministering life to Gentiles who are outside of the covenant. I see Jesus leaving 99 to find one that has fallen. I see him selling the kingdom on love, putting love in action, love in action. That's how I see Jesus selling the kingdom, promoting the benefits, not, the, not all the features, but the benefits. There's enough goodness in God that if you preach it right, you won't even have to mention hell. Yo, 
y'all ain't going to help me. I said it. There's enough goodness in God that if you preach him right, you don't have to mention anything to avoid in eternity because he's worth it here and now in this world. He's worth it here and now in this world. I want to set us on fire as a house and ignite our passion for souls. Throw your hands up in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. There is something you need to say to someone over the course of this month, this year. There's someone that needs to hear your story. There's someone that is losing hope, that has become suicidal, that has become addicted to mind-altering substances. Somebody who has given up on life, on themselves, on God. Someone who's desperate. Someone who feels dirty and irredeemable and unchangeable. And they need to hear hear your story and so in the name of Jesus I release an unction into this house I release an unction into this house to set us on fire with a missionary zeal and an energy to become a lifeline to someone that's sinking in the mighty name of Jesus now with your hands lifted, do please hear this. I do not subscribe to the model that I inherited. I've changed. Thank God. I don't believe you're supposed to get on every bus and every train shouting about Jesus. I believe that there are appropriate times and appropriate places to have a conversation with someone about God. I don't think everywhere is appropriate. And I don't think every time is appropriate. And can he prove it from the scriptures, Bishop? Yes, I can. Yes, I absolutely can. I just don't have the time to do it now. I'm going to tell you that there's something called a divine appointment. And divine appointments put you in the right place at the right time with the right person. There's an opportunity, a window that's open for you to encourage them and say there is help. There is hope. God did it for me. And I know he'll do it for you. Let's pray. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you set us on fire and use us to reap the harvest that is in this generation. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Everyone, put your hands together. Give Jesus a great, mighty clap offering. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website 
at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.